the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following is a conversation between Darius Mozafarian, Dean of the Friedman School of Nutrition, Science, and Policy at Tufts University, and Denver Frederick, host of The Business of Giving on AM 970 The Answer, WNYM, in New York City. The long-held belief that white meat is less harmful for your heart than red meat still may be the case. But new research, which indicates they have an identical effect on your cholesterol level, has confused many consumers. And when it comes to food nutrition, there are a number of things that we are simply unclear about. So, to bring some clarity to all of this, it's a pleasure to have with us tonight Dr. Dariush Mozafarian, the Dean of the Friedman School of Nutrition Science and Policy at Tufts University. Good evening, Dr. Mozafarian, and welcome to the Business of Giving. Uh, hello, Denver. Nice to be uh, on the program. You have said that there is a national, in fact, a global nutrition crisis, and I know you don't use those words lightly. What are the dimensions of that crisis? You know, I think, I think everyone is starting to understand, have this sort of uneasy gut feeling that the food system is making us sick, but the, the true scope of this is, I think, beyond most people's you know, wildest nightmares. Um, <laughs> the our, our our food that we eat is now the single leading cause of poor health in our country and, and globally, and that's due to a combination of undernutrition, but mostly chronic diseases like obesity and type 2 diabetes and heart disease and stroke and certain cancers. And so if we care about health, this is the single leading health issue on, on, our, on our planet is, is, is what we eat. In terms of you know effects on sustainability, um, our food is the single biggest, again, issue for sustainability on the planet. About... 30% of all climate change gases come from how we grow our food, 70% of the world's water use, 90% of deforestation, stress to the oceans, um, stress to topsoil. Wow. Um, and so if you put all that together, this is, you know, people, we've been talking about solar panels and energy and cars. I mean, agriculture and food is, is the biggest single issue for sustainability. This is a huge issue for social justice and kind of equity, um, you know, People around the the world in our country and, and elsewhere who have you know are disadvantaged in, in in various ways to tend to have the worst food and the worst diets which make them sick. Kids can't learn in school. You know you don't concentrate well. Parents get sick, and that leads to this vicious cycle, keeping people in, in poverty. And on top of those things, which are you know quite quite you know stunning, um, the health uh, uh, and sustainability implications lead to enormous economic costs. And so in our country, but really in, in around the world, the economic consequences of this, I think, are just starting to be realized. And so for healthcare costs, you know, we are in our country spending almost one in five dollars in our entire economy is spent on on healthcare. In the federal government, twenty eight percent of all federal spending is, is on health care. And for many businesses, their number one concern is rising health care premiums um, for their employees. And that is being driven by diet-related illness. And so there's an there's a economic imperative. We, we, our, our country and the world 
is going to be swallowed. The economies are going to be swallowed by this tidal wave of diet-related disease, in particular obesity and type 2 diabetes, uh, unless we, we do something about it. And, and then lastly, you know, in terms of a crisis, this is not often brought up, but this is a national security crisis. There are, there's a group called Mission Readiness, 750 retired uh, generals and admirals, four-star, three-star, two-star mm-hmm. military leaders who've declared childhood obesity a national security crisis because we, can't, we don't have enough fit young men and women to join the military. And, and for thousands of years, governments have recognized the importance of nutrition for having a healthy military, but somehow in our country now, this has been forgotten. And so if you put that together, health, sustainability, social justice, massive, massive dollars costs for our government and for businesses and national security, this is truly a global crisis. And, and I'm an optimist. I don't want to be all doom and gloom, we can fix it. We can fix this incredible crisis in in 10 or 20 years if we all get together and, and you know, uh, uh, pull for effective change together. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's dig in a little bit, and let me start with calories. Has there been an overemphasis on calories in recent years? Because when I go to the store, it's not that often to tell you the truth, but, boy, on the packaging, you see calories – Uh, listed the way you never did. You certainly get them in restaurants. So I was just wondering what you thought about calories. And is a calorie a calorie, or does it really depend on where you get that calorie from? Well, this is, you know, one of the most exciting things is how rapidly the science is advancing. I mean, we've only been focusing on food and nutrition and chronic diseases, like, again, like obesity and diabetes and cardiovascular diseases. We've only really been focusing on it in modern science for, let's say, 30, 35 years, serious focus. So it's a very new science. And this partially explains the changing science and changing messages that consumers receive. The science has actually advanced and changed. And, you know, for calories, this is very controversial. And so, um, you know, I have my own views on, on the science, but many people disagree with me. So I think this is a hot, controversial area right now. And I believe if you look at all the evidence together, that you cannot judge a food by its calorie count. That, that of course, in a Bunsen burner, you take foods and measure their calories, and yeah, that's the right number. And, and you know, you can't violate the laws of physics. Calories are calories burned, you know, in, in isolation. But food has information in it that changes how our bodies respond to it. It, it changes our brains. It changes our microbiomes. It changes our um, uh, insulin and glucose responses. It changes our liver fat production. And even there's evidence that what we eat changes the energy we burn. Yeah. So what you eat changes you know, our, our metabolic rate. And so if you put all that together, I think it's very, very clear that a focus on calories is misleading for the consumer, that, that it's much, much better to eat 1,000 calories of healthy food than 750 calories of, of unhealthy food for long-term weight. Now, short-term, of course, if you count calories short-term and you cut calories and you just focus on that, you'll lose weight for a few weeks or a couple of months, but your body will start fighting back. And we have so many pathways in our body to maintain our weights that have been you know, hardwired into us as humans that our body will fight back. And so we have to eat foods that help those natural pathways um, maintain our weights and, and avoid foods that hurt those pathways. And, you know, we can talk about what, the, what those foods are. That's the trillion-dollar question. But I believe that a focus on calories alone has actually been misleading and in some cases actually led people to, to you know, harmful decisions um, and, and purchasing of harmful foods because they're focused on calories 
rather than quality. And I think quality is what matters most. Well, let's go to the trillion-dollar question. And I know there's always a danger of being reductionist here and trying to be simple in terms of what the shorthand is. But with that being said, what would you consider to be a good diet? Well, this is the this is the thing that that I I don't I haven't figured out how to answer in one or two words. And so, you know, people say plant-based or vegetarian or natural or organic and and you know, unfortunately none of those single words, you know, addresses the complexity. And so, the way I look at it is there's sort of three buckets of of foods. There's a bucket of really healthy foods that we should be seeking out and eating as as much as we can because it's good for our general health and seems to be linked to lower risk of diseases across multiple dimensions. There's a bucket of foods that's kind of neutral that, you know, it's kind of, you know, not it's not as good as those healthy foods, mm-hmm. but it's much they're much better than really bad foods and we should be eating some neutral foods for variety and fun and other things. And then there's a third group of of really harmful foods that we should be avoiding. Um, And so, and I'll kind of go through what foods are in those groups. Um, But to me, this is the, you know, opposite of the message of everything in moderation. Everything in moderation is is not correct because we want to eat as much as we can of the good foods, eat the, you know, neutral foods kind of in moderation, and then minimize and and really consider as treats or, you know, occasional foods, the foods that are bad for us, Um, not Everything in moderation is kind of an industry message, right? You can eat donuts in moderation and soda in moderation yeah, and french fries right. in moderation. No, no, you don't eat those things in moderation. You don't. You minimize those things. Mm-hmm. So, so in the in the in the group of foods that I think is really good for us, um, what I would describe them as is a little technical, but I would describe them as minimally processed foods that are bioactive, rich, or rich in you know, these trace compounds that seem really good for our, for our bodies. And most of them, interestingly, are foods that are, that, are, that are, what I say, are foods that give rise to life. You can plant them in the ground, and they'll give rise to a new plant life. And if you think about what a new plant life needs, this gentle little shoot coming out of the ground in the harshest of conditions, the thousands of compounds that, that these foods have to nurture that new plant life is what our bodies need as we grow and we age. So things like nuts and seeds and fruits and beans and whole grains, those are all things that give rise to life. And even vegetables, most vegetables actually are fr- that I think of as are really healthy um, are actually fruits. And so squash and eggplant and cucumber and tomato and pumpkin and avocado and olives, those are all fruits. Um, and the oils from these plants, right, they're actually fruit oils or nut oils. So olive oil is a fruit oil. Avocado oil is a fruit oil. Um, canola oil is a, you know, a, a bean or seed oil. So, so those are foods that give rise to life, um, you know, fruits, nuts, seeds, vegetables, many of which are actually fruits, whole grains and beans are in the top category. And the other two foods that I would put in that top category is fish because of its omega-3s right. um, and yogurt because of its probiotics. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in the middle category, foods that seem kind of neutral um, include foods like cheese and eggs and milk, um, poultry, you know, chicken, turkey, things like that, um, and um, butter, um, and even you know, unprocessed red meats, fresh red meats, like that's not you know preserved, um, is probably kind of in the neutral category. Now, of course, there's a, a grading in there. So, so unprocessed red meats are probably a little bit worse than some of the other foods in there. And cheese actually might be a little bit better than some of the other foods in there if it's fermented, fermented hard cheeses. Um, but as a class, that's kind of neutral foods that, you know, sure, you're better off eating a blueberry 
or eating a carrot or eating a bean. But once in a while, you want to have an egg or you want to have a you know piece of meat once a week or something. Um, have have butter once in a while. It's that's okay. And then the worst stuff, the stuff that we should really be avoiding, is really the the hyper processed foods that are rich in starch and sugar. And I say starch because. The country and the world is starting to really focus on sugar, but we're missing starch, and and starch is just glucose. So so white bread is 100% glucose. Yeah. Cornflakes is 100% glucose. Um, a potato is almost 100% glucose if you don't eat the skin. So starch is really a, a big problem, and so I think all of these hyper-processed packaged foods that are rich in starch and sugar, and even things like white bread and white rice um, and crackers and breakfast cereals, you know, that are just really starch and sugar that don't have a lot of, you know, true whole grains and high fiber, those are the things we should be uh, avoiding. So, you know, that's not a short answer that fits on a bumper sticker, and so it, it leads to a lot of confusion about what's, what's healthy. Let me ask you about um, Beyond Meat and some of those other plant-based substitutes, including the additives to make them taste like meat and have the texture of meat. Have you done any preliminary research or have initial thoughts on that? Well, you know, one of the first things we need to understand is if there are harm, health harms of meat, what is it in the meat that's harmful? And for decades, you know, guidelines have focused on the fat, lowering the saturated fat, lowering the total fat, eat lean meats, right, um, eat the non-fat uh, uh, dairy and other things. And I think, again, this is very controversial. Many smart people that I respect don't agree with me. But but I think that m- most of the evidence shows that it's not the fats in meat that are actually that harmful. It's probably other things. Mm-hmm. And the most harmful things about meat seems to be the uh, processing and preserving of, of some kinds of meats like bacon and salami and even all the low-fat deli meats that you see at, at, at you know, work luncheons and you know, all the sliced pastrami and turkey and other things that are highly processed. Why can't we do something sodium, about this processing? What's that? Why can't we do something about this processing? I well, mean, it would be nice to be able where, to eat those things, but you can't because they haven't been able to figure it out the processing. Well, this is all new science, and so I think this is still controversial. But t- to me, I think that it's the sodium and the nitrites and the high-temperature cooking and other processing of these meats that's harmful. And I think it's mostly sodium and nitrites, mm-hmm. but there's controversy about that. So, But I think the meat industry absolutely, the public should demand, the meat industry should figure this out, should pay for the research, understand what's harmful in those meats so we can take them out and we can all eat our bacon and enjoy it. Like how great would that be, right? So <laughs> if, it's, if, it's, if it's not the meat itself, but it's how we're processing it, if we could figure that out, I think that would be really important. So that leads us then to are these other plant-based alternatives healthy, it depends on what's in them. And so if they're loaded with sodium or nitrites or other preservatives, then no. Mm-hmm. Um, even heme iron, you know, some of these versions, they, they, they are happy that they were able to put heme iron in the plant-based protein because heme iron gives it that red color and kind of taste. But too much heme iron, which is what makes red meats red, um, seems to be uh, uh, a factor for increasing risk of type 2 diabetes when people eat meets more than let's say once a week. So so you know we we really have to figure this out. My 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 current thought is that most of these, you know, processed plant-based meat substitutes are good for the earth because you know we're not producing cattle which right. takes take up a lot of resources so they're they're better for the earth. I won't say they're good for the earth, they're mm-hmm. better for the earth. Um but whether they're better for humans I think still needs to be understood. Let me ask you about government policy, and I probably know the answer to this already, but is government policy keeping up with the science? 
Well, yes and no. I mean, things are changing pretty fast in, in, in the scale of centuries, right? So in the scale of compared to 50 years ago, there are, you know, I don't know, now 15 countries around the world that have soda taxes. Um, you know, Chile has one of the most comprehensive programs with black box warning labels, restrictions on marketing to kids, you know, other things. Um, the U.S. school lunch program following the 2010 uh, Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act is much better than it was before, although, of course, there's still room for improvement. Um, you know, food stamps now has fruit and vegetable incentives in it, um, you know, that, that help low-income Americans buy fruits and vegetables. So there's lots and lots of policies that are better today that weren't in place 10 years ago. But that being said, I'd say we're, you know, 5% or 10% of where we need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and And a lot of our policies are still focused on kind of fat and calories and um, sugar and salt, um, thinking about these, this kind of reductionist approach to food. And I think we need to shift our policies more and more to- toward increasing the consumption of protective foods, that, that first category of foods that I described. We have to figure out it's win-win, right? If we figure out how to help industry make those protective foods, make them less expensive for consumers, lower healthcare spending, and use those dollars to go back to the consumer and the companies um, to make it economically viable, that's, that's a win-win solution. So I think that, that the major focus of the 21st century should be on how to get protective foods to everybody in the population and how to reap the economic benefits of that through less diabetes and obesity and, and cardiovascular disease and cancers. Yeah, and would a lot of that be done through tax policy? Well, so economic policy would be very straightforward and would be a quick fix. So if you taxed, let's say, most you know, ultra-processed foods and then used all of that tax to subsidize, at the retail level even, um, you know, minimally processed, bioactive-rich, healthy foods like I described, um, you would change incentives overnight for everybody from agriculture to sure retail to restaurants to, you know, uh, producers to the customer. But that's a really tall political ask. So I think that, you know, and and again, other countries are taxing soda, so that's a start. But Mm -hmm. unfortunately, they're not mostly using that to subsidize healthy foods. I think if you're going to tax any unhealthy food, all of that money should be used to subsidize healthy foods, because then that helps low-income purchasers, right? You're taxing their unhealthy purchases, at least help them buy you know, healthier foods. So I think tax policy is, is important, but in this country, it's a ways away at the national level. But I think there's other things that could be done. And so, again, the feeding programs like SNAP, the food stamps program, that could be used and you could figure out incentives and disincentives within SNAP. You have the VA system. You have health care. One one really uh, interesting, you know, and new phenomenon in Denver is – fruit and vegetable prescriptions in healthcare. So having your doctor write a prescription for fruits and vegetables, and in some cases, whole grains and, and fish and chicken, and you go out and you use that prescription and you get free or discounted food, that's being actually implemented now um, you know, in pri- private healthcare systems around the country with great results. And in the farm bill that was passed, you know, the federal government getting involved, there's a $25 million program to uh, test this um, nationally. So the federal government has put $25 million in the Farm Bill to test these healthy produce prescription programs in healthcare. So imagine in five years, you go to your doctor, instead of just writing a prescription for a super expensive drug, 
with side effects, <clears throat> they give you a prescription for healthy food. That's a great idea. And it'd be nice if all this information was included on your electronic medical record, I bet. Well, I mean, you know, you're <laughs> you're uh, uh, really spot on. You know, the one of the great ironies is the number one cause of poor health, you know, bad nutrition is not captured in the health record. And and that single fact, plus it's not captured in medical education, right? If you think about that, that our, our doctors aren't learning about the number one cause of poor health, and our electronic health record is not capturing it. You know, that explains a lot of where we are today uh, in, in the healthcare system. Yeah. And you've been a big champion of the National Institute of Nutrition. Tell us about that and what kind of progress we've been able to make. Well, you know, I, I think that what I, what I think we need is, um, you know, a real kind of moonshot for nutrition research, right? We need to understand these questions. I mean, people ask me, uh, I'm a cardiologist, I've studied nutrition all of my career, and I can't answer some of the most basic questions people ask me because there hasn't been enough science. And so we know a lot, you know, but there's, a, there's even more that we don't know. And so, you know, you asked me the question about processing of meats, what's harmful in them? I should know the answer to that question, <laughs> and I don't. People ask me, you know, is dairy toxic? Or is is yogurt and cheese good for you? Uh, I don't know the answer to that that question. You know, I have my thoughts and ideas based on the research, but I don't know the strong answer to that question because of insufficient research. Um, you know, is cocoa a health food? I think so. I think I, I eat dark chocolate every day, but but can I say that conclusively? No. Is garlic and 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 you know turmeric are these good for? cancer or anti-inflammatory? How does food affect our microbiome? What about personalization, right? But what about yeah. my own diet for me? There's so many fundamental questions, and, and we're not going to answer these questions for another 50 years at the pace that we're going, if ever. If we had a concerted national effort to really address the most fundamental nutrition questions of our time in, this, in the United States, we would become you know, the world's leader for a 21st century breadbasket of healthy food that's that's good for people and reduces healthcare costs and good for the planet. That would, you know, put our economy in, into overdrive instead of tech, right? This, this is the century of food, mm-hmm. right? The 20th century was a century of tech. I really think this is a century of, of, of figuring out food. And so the country that does this, the companies that do this are going to be leaders uh, and make, you know, trillions of dollars. And so... I think that we need a national effort, and the National Institutes of Health is an unbelievably powerful, positive force in our country. It, it, it leads to incredible research that drives discovery and our economy, and there just isn't a focus on nutrition. So, so I do think that um, a, a clear and strong focus at the NIH on nutrition would pay enormous dividends to our country. Yeah, I can't agree more. And when you look at the numbers of uh, amount of money that's being spent on research and compare it to the uh, advertising that a candy company does, it is like night and day. It is absolutely dwarfed. Well, let me close with this and picking up what you just said. Is there a food revolution, revolution occurring or is there one on the way? And if so, what do you think our diets are going to look like, let's say, a decade from now? Well, I think there's absolutely a, a food revolution occurring. I mean, the the average consumer is no longer buying sort of the the traditional brands. Um, they're the sales of all kind of the conventional brands are going down. And you know, an interesting thing has happened for most 
you know, part sectors of our economy, big companies are more trusted, right? You, mm-hmm. you go to the big company to get the product that you trust. And that was true in food in the 60s and 70s, right? People trusted those big, big food companies. Now, the reverse is happening, whether it's agriculture, retail, um, restaurants, or, um, you know, food manufacturers, consumers aren't trusting the big companies anymore yeah. because they feel like they've been hoodwinked a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's all, all of the growth is these small, innovative companies. Now, the consumer is asking for three things, health, uh, transparency, and sustainability, especially millennials. This mm-hmm. is really powerful in millennials. So there's definitely a food revolution happening. Now, what I'm worried about is that most of these small new companies that are going to turn into the big companies of the future don't have their science quite right. And so they're trying to do the right thing. But, you know, if they go for, if we go from gummy bears to organic gummy bears, I don't see that as progress, right? And, and so – and that's a real product. I mean, I'm not making that up. And, and so, you know, we, we, have to, we have to be sure that there's, there's sound science in these innovations and that the things that we're making are actually better for us. And, and that's what I'm worried about. I'm not worried that a food revolution is not going to happen. It's going to happen. The, the big companies that are here today may not be here in 20 years if they don't change quickly. Um, and Kraft Heinz is an example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, huge drop in their stock price this year, massive decline. Yeah. Um, but, but I'm worried that if in 20 years we sort of use junk science, we might be where we are today in terms of health or even worse. Mm-hmm. Also interesting. Well, Dr. Dariush Mozafarian, the Dean of the Friedman School of Nutrition Science and Policy at Tufts University, I want to thank you so much for being here this evening. Where can people go to learn more about the things we just discussed or look more closely uh, at your research? Well, so, of course, you know, please feel free to come to the Tufts uh, University website and the Friedman School website. We have lots of uh, information about these things. Um, uh, Tufts also has a monthly newsletter the Tufts Health and Nutrition Letter, which covers kind of these issues for people. Um, I think that there's, you know, good information on other websites at other universities. Um, I would be very skeptical of information that you just read from a blogger or a book author, um, you know, because they, they usually have an agenda to sell books or get people to their blogs, and that means, you know, usually hyping things more. For there sure. are some good ones. I don't want to say they're all yeah. like that, but there's so many. So I think I think go to a trusted university website that has a strong program in nutrition. Um, you know, most government USDA websites have, have sound information as well. There's some kind of outdated stuff here and there that, that people are trying to find and, and fix. But, but um, you know, get your news from, from a trusted, trusted source. Fabulous. Well, thanks, Dr. Mozafarian. It was a real pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, Thank you so much, Denver. I'll be back with more of The Business of Giving right after this. The Business of Giving can be heard every Sunday evening between 6 and 7 p.m. Eastern on AM 970 The Answer in New York and on iHeartRadio. You can follow us at BizOfGive on Twitter and at Facebook.com slash BusinessOfGiving. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.